who knows when I'll finish another book. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today we're talking about our January Books on the Radar. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hi, Renee. How are you? Hello. I'm good. And of course, trying to stay warm. We will we yes. will preface the episode by saying it's Friday and the Arctic storm has hit both of our areas. I think it hit like, I want to say, I thought I saw something. It said like 30 of 50 states had some sort of winter yeah. uh, winter storm warning, like all the way. I saw like on the Mexico-Texas border all the way through, obviously, like New England area. I'm like, that is crazy. This was massive. It is very massive. We got, I don't know, not a ton of snow, maybe three to four. I don't know. I don't go outside, so I'm not quite sure (laughs) how much snow we got. But the wind, and it's hella cold. It was negative seven this morning, felt like negative 23. So, you know, that's not tenable. We don't love that. No, no. I've been outside, unfortunately. I'll be back. I'm the taker outer of Vinny. And gosh, you really realize when you have a dog that must go outside, that it's not so fun to go outside in this type of weather. Oh, gosh. I mean, the wind, yeah. it's really like I go out in the snow all winter long. You know, we walk in it, but not with this, this bitter, this cold and this wind. The weird is the combination because I was mm-hmm. like, oh, we got Lily's snow boots in her current size. I was like, let's play in the snow, have a snow day. I'm like, oh, it's negative seven. <laughs> like, right. we're not going in the snow. No, anyway. I know. Right. So, anyway, that's our Midwest weather update. And we have a lot to talk about. So. Oh my gosh. So buckle up, folks. I know this is going to be a long <laughs> one because it's our Books on the Radar episode, but we're also talking about 2023 reading resolutions and kind of giving you a, I know we both listened to a part of our episode last year when we talked about our 2022 goals. And so mm-hmm. buckle up. I know it's about to be a long one. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Let me tell you about my loving lately. I and pumped. It is a book-related loving lately, and it's something I just discovered. They are book challenges on the story graph. And this feature is so smart of the app. Anyone can create a challenge and anyone can join up. And so what you do is log into your story graph account, click on reading challenges at the top, and it shows you your challenge if you've set one. So mine was 125 books for 2022. And then what you can do is click browse on the upper right-hand side. And the story graph has their own challenges. Then you can join up with anybody who creates one and you can search. So for the story graph challenges, they did such a good job. They have the story graph reads the world. And they basically, the creators of this at the company, pick 10 countries for you to visit via books. And each country, like they list them and then there's prompts in them. So like there's like book lists. You can say, okay, I want to read a book set in Syria. And you click on that. And then there's books that people have uploaded set in that country, right? 
So that one I'm definitely joining for next year because I just discovered it. They also host a genre challenge where they list kind of like we've seen like 10 specific prompts. For example, read a sapphic romance novel. And again, you can see what people have logged for that. And then their third challenge is an onboarding challenge to the story graph. And I was like, what is this? Is this for like new readers or what? But it's really for people who aren't as familiar with the story graph and all its features. So the certain prompts are like read a book published in the last three years that fits your reader profile. To find your reader profile, click on this and that. You mainly read this and this. It shows you where to go in the app to get that suggestion. Isn't that smart? I know. I was like, Uh uh-huh. And there's only 10 prompts in each of theirs. So it's not like it's like, you know, read 50 books in 50 different challenges. I've also joined up with Melanated Reader and her. So this year she had a a challenge that went kind of viral. It was 20 books by 20 Black women. And I did that one and I completed it. And this year they changed it to 20 books by Black folks challenge. So this could be men, women, or uh, gender nonconforming black people. And anyway, I'm excited about this. You search Melanated Reader in the search area in Storygraph and it comes up. Mm-hmm. This is so smart. Then my, okay, they also have categories. You can click on tackle your TBR. So you set it yourself. You can click on literary awards, book clubs, and podcasts. I mean, there's a ton. You can go pretty crazy with it. But then the part that I love the most, once you read a book that meets the prompt, When you click back on your challenges page, it lists your challenge. So it's like, okay, at the top, 125 books goal. This is how far you are in this challenge. This is your percentage in this challenge. I'm like, makes me so happy, right? So to add it to the challenge, you read the book, you know, you click read, and then you go to your your review, and then you can say add to a reading challenge. And so you can just add it to that challenge. It is so fun for us book lovers, our book nerds. And I'm not a typical statistics person, but I'm a challenge person and I like logging my books and I like attaching it to challenges. So it's so fun. I'm like half tempted to do a book talk, et cetera, one. I'm like, what would we put on for our challenge? So I'm like, I want to think about that, if that would be something that people would be interested in and if it would be fun. But anyway, this has been my oh. latest. I, I like had to pull myself away because I, I was working on the script and I started playing with it. I was like, all right, set this aside, do it in winter break. This is my loving lately where book challenges on the story graph. That's mm, cool. So fun. That yes. Get it, get in it. I know one. you're going to love it. Oh, I am. I am. And one of, that you mentioned in particular with the international reads does tie in with mm-hmm, one of my goals for 2023 continued goals. So, oh yeah, I'm going to be on that. Okay. My loving lately is a podcast episode that I listened to after uh, Sarah from Fiction Matters shared about it in her newsletter. The episode is called This Conversation About the Reading Mind is a Gift from the Ezra Klein Show. Mm-hmm. I have not yeah. heard of this podcast. I've since subscribed to it. And in this particular episode, Ezra talks with Marianne Wolf, and she's a researcher and scholar. And what they talk about is the fact that every day we all, which pretty much all of us, consume a mind-boggling amount of information. We, we're scanning news articles. We're sifting through tons of emails and messages. We are scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through our social media feeds. And what Marianne has researched and what they talk about is how has this changed and is changing our memories 
our attention spans and our ability to actually think. This was so, I, I cannot tell you how fascinating this episode was. Um, they talk about reading on a Kindle or a laptop um, versus a physical book. Now, I have to tell you, I have always kind of, I know that a Kindle is not the same as a physical book, but in my mind it is. <laughs> Do you know, even though I, I don't equate the Kindle with being a screen, and it is, a, I guess, it is a screen, and it we our minds do process what we're reading differently when we're reading on a Kindle versus when we're reading an actual print book. I didn't know that. I, this uh, So much I learned. Um, they talk about how exposure to such a vast amount of information is rewiring our brains. It's reshaping our society. And they talk about how to re- rediscover the lost art of reading books deeply, which includes slowing down and reading print, reading more print. Now, I hear that. How for this sure. is going to happen f- for us, Tina? I don't know. I've been <laughs> really, really thinking about what I learned from this episode. How would I pro- apply it? And I want to talk more about that in book talk. Something else really interesting in this episode um, for parents with young kids. What is screen time doing to their brain? Mm-hmm. This it was very very interesting. She gives you know, tips and advice. Oh, such a good episode. I'm actually going to re-listen to it again. And you know me, I had to Google Marianne Wolf and kind of read more about her research and what she does. And then I started reading some additional research. They don't talk that much about audiobooks, but because of what she said about reading on screens and reading in print format, I suspected that audiobooks would also be we are all we're processing our reading very differently than when we're reading mm-hmm. in print which we are but I love my audiobooks but I I do wonder if I would have taken in stories differently I don't know mm-hmm. because I do I really really love the audiobooks that I listen to and it was a, I listen to a lot and I enjoy them. And so anyway, I landed on, um, somebody had a quote and they said, despite everything, you know, audiobooks are here to stay. So despite whatever, audiobooks add literacy to moments where there would otherwise be none. Oh, I love And that. isn't that true? That's so true. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I, I like that. And so anyway, it's a roundabout story on this podcast episode called... This conversation about the reading mind is a gift from the Ezra Klein show. Oh, I'm going to listen to that for sure. It actually freaks me out a little bit because I'm like, uh, Lily does a lot of screen time, but at the same time, it's survival. Like I work from home and, you know, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. You will. And he, I mean, she's um, not on the screen like yeah. like all day. <laughs> and he <laughs> asked, he asked those questions because he has, I think he said he had a, has a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah. And he said, oh, good. you know, get this. what is a parent to do? I didn't, now we didn't have screens when my kids were little. We had no yeah, iPad. I don't, and I imagine if we did, I would have been using it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. we, we, yeah. we, we had to like, you know, pull out the coloring books. I just remember like it was constant with, especially with young boys, coloring books, Play-Doh, you know, you they want to stay busy. So, and yeah. not that all screen time is bad. She had some really great information on kids and screen time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll get that for sure. 
And I love that. It adds moments of literacy to where there otherwise would be none. That was mm-hmm. in your research, right? Not on the podcast. That was in my research. I, it was a scholarly type of uh, article, and they were examining mm-hmm. print reading versus audiobook mm-hmm. listening. For me, I don't know that the format matters as much as my ability to pay attention. So when I'm audiobooking, I'm cooking. I'm walking, Mm -hmm. I'm working out, whatever. So we're we're doing two things at the same time. Whereas in print, I literally have, all of us, not just me, we have to sit there and read. Right. So I think, I I do agree that we probably would get different things out of audio versus print, not because necessarily of the format itself, maybe. I mean, I didn't listen to the episode. Mm -hmm. I don't know the research, but more so because of our attention. It can't be split when you're reading that it's physical, you have to. Exactly, yeah. You know, use your eyes. So yeah. fascinating. Also, I'm adding something to my want to do for 2023 based on what you just said. I'll tell you what it is when we okay. get there. Yeah, but they did talk about print reading allows for deeper reflective processing of information, which mm-hmm. makes sense, right? But there were many pros and advantages of auditory listening as far as, I'm I'm probably going to get this wrong. I will find the article and link to it, but it was something like audio listening allows for an increase in visual imagery. We can almost create better visual images while listening to a book versus reading it, which Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I have that right. But anyway, like I said, I'll link to it because I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I think about being an auditory learner or a visual learner and how that must affect your listening experience and your reading experience. Because obviously there's different types of learning styles. Mm -hmm. And I just, some people take information better visually, some people auditory, some people kinesthetic. I'm definitely a visual learner. So I'm like, I know for me when I'm listening, I get the gist, I get the majority. My favorite way has continued to be in audio and in print to have both handy so I can underline and like reinforce. I did that Mm -hmm. yesterday with the book I was reading. I'm Mm -hmm. like, ah, anyway, really fascinating stuff. I love that. Let me tell you about my latest read. It is a book that I did in audio and print, and I far preferred the print version. Okay. Um, And I'll tell you why. It was our actual, it was the book I picked for our December hashtag read with BTE Patreon community read. Mm -hmm. It's A Quiet Life by Ethan Joella. And uh, gosh, I just love this book. And for our community reads, we read them in advance so that we can recommend when possible so that we can, you know, recommend them to our community and know it's going to be a hit, at least with some of us, at least with the person that picked it. So this was my choice. And I picked it. I first picked it up because Ethan Joella is the author of A Little Hope, which I also loved last year. This is one of those books that you just have to trust me on because I have a hard (laughs) time describing it in an interesting way because really it's just about the lives of three individuals who are at three different generations, meaning they're three different stages in life, whose paths intersect in unexpected ways. You have Chuck, who's a widower, who has worked his whole life to be able to afford a winter house with his wife, and she's recently passed away. So he's trying to decide, okay, do I still go on our yearly trip without her or do I stay home? How do I get rid of her stuff? How can I possibly, what is my new normal? You've got Ella Burke who works two jobs and waits for any piece of information she can possibly get about her missing daughter. So she's like burning both ends of the candle. That's her way of coping is just working. She runs a newspaper route and works at a bridal shop and she's trying desperately to not fall apart, obviously. 
Um, and she's not sure who she is now that she's not raising her little girl. And then you have Kirsten, who's the youngest of the three, and she had aspirations for veterinary school, but has since changed her path for a reason we find out later and has found comfort working at an animal shelter. There's a lot going on in this book. It's a lot of loss, and it really sounds like, gosh, this is going to be heavy, but I'm telling you it's not. The author, you can tell he has a background in psychology. I was not surprised to find he's a psych professor when I was reading this. I'm like, oh yeah, that tracks. He makes it human. Yes, these are tragedies that people experience, but it's also surprisingly light. He was able to find like the hope in places, and I thought it was beautiful. Each of the characters are trying to recover something they lost in the loss of their loved one and figure out who they are now in their new lives. It's so well-written, and you really feel like you could get to know these characters. Also, there's a little tiny bit of a love triangle, which is Renee's fave. Oh, yes. That was a fun addition Mm -hmm. that I wasn't expected. Again, I'd say go for the print on this one because I wasn't a fan of the male narrator. Overall, though, I highly recommend this book. And he is now an auto-read author for me. It's A Quiet Life by Ethan Joella. I can't wait to read that. And we'll be talking about that in our Patreon community next week. So there's time for people to join us. Yeah, that is exactly up my alley. I'm excited. All right. My latest read is One's Company by Ashley Hudson. Now, this is a quirky book. I have this fascination. I love nostalgia. Like as far as I was doing some Googling about like books set in the 70s and 80s because we have time now. We're not really reading for a topic. So I was like, let me see if I can find anything I haven't read. And the premise of this really seemed right up my alley. This is about Bonnie Lincoln. For the most part, she would like to be left alone. She goes to work, but she comes home from work and shuts out The trauma of what we are told has been a devastating loss. She's been through something. We don't know what in in the beginning. And the way that she shuts out the world is by watching the show Three's Company on repeat. She watches every episode. She will then start over. Now, I grew up watching Three's Company. I bet I watched every single episode. It was Three's Company. Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days for me. <laughs> so, I mean, this, this I was like, oh boy, this is in my wheelhouse. So one day, very beginning of the story. So none, nothing that I'm telling you is a spoiler. Bonnie wins the lottery and has this vision of like, okay, I have all this money now. I'm going to leave everything and everybody that I know and move to this isolated mountain retreat that has a house and recreate the set of Three's Company and live in that world. I mean, how interesting is this premise, right? She wants to live each of the lives of Janet Wood, Chrissy Snow, and Jack Tripper. And she wants to do it separately. And she wants, and so that's the setup of this book. Now, along the way, we do meet her best friend, Crystal. Crystal is there in the beginning, and Crystal is trying to stay connected with Bonnie, but Bonnie literally makes it impossible. Bonnie is, yes, dealing with the trauma and also not the nicest person. But, you know, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt because she we know she's been through a lot. So the story goes on. You have I mean, things happen at some point. She heads to the mountain, the sets 
get built. And, you know, Bonnie intends to literally live in that world as if she is in the late 1970s, 80s. So it's very interesting. This is a look, obviously, at trauma, obviously at resilience, I I would say. And I knew that Bonnie had trauma, but this wasn't immediately revealed. And when it was, when I say it was big, it was a huge trauma, but it was very glossed over, in my opinion. And then the fact that she won the lottery was also very underwhelming, which seemed a little odd. What I liked was obviously, I liked this entire setup. I liked the direction that the story was heading. I was I was very intrigued about if she was going to pull this off, how was she actually going to live? How is that going to look? I was in it more for the plot, although I was giving Bonnie the benefit of the doubt because like I said, it's hard to like Bonnie, but I gave I wanted to be empathetic. Here's the thing. Bonnie is completely devoid of much emotion. And usually when you have a character like that, we're assuming that eventually that might change right? In the course of the story? Mm-hmm. It did not. <laughs> okay. It did not. So if this sounds interesting to you, I say give it a try. Here's what I want you to know. For me, my biggest issue with this story was after the initial setup, there are no other characters for quite a long time. So we are left with Bonnie, who were in her head for such a long time And we're, you know, I was there for it until I wasn't. I was, on the one hand, interested. On the other hand, my feelings for her really went from, okay, I'll I'll tolerate her to now I really don't like her. Because I do have to say there's one specific aspect in this story that had to do with long-term emotional neglect that she inflicted on a dog. I have a huge problem with that. And when I say long-term, I mean years. So it lost me there and and it never got, and I just never could get back on board with Bonnie. I pretty much disliked her then and skimmed quite a lot of the rest of the book because I was so mad about that. And I'm not even sure why it was in there. It didn't further the plot at all. So it's an interesting premise. It's clever. It's very original, but in the end, did not work for me. That is One's Company by Ashley Hudson. Yeah, that book's, boy, bonus points for unique plot. Oh, yeah. And like, now I have Three's Company, too. <laughs> song yep. stuck in my head. I don't actually know if I've ever seen it. It was like on, you know, and mm-hmm. but I wasn't paying attention. But I can definitely hear the theme song. Wow, what is what an interesting book. It sounds like for you it was a swing and a miss, but like, I'm glad you tried it. I'm very surprised that this came across your radar. I'm glad I tried it too. And it really like fell off a cliff for me because I Mm -hmm. really enjoyed the whole setup. I I guess I was in it more for the plot of how is this all going to work out? But then when the character took over and she, I don't need my characters to be likable. I mean, Mm -hmm. but when it's the only character that you have to read about for quite some time, what happens when she's so unlikable? And then yeah. how, for me, I was like, I don't, what's keeping me reading after, you know, you, you find out like, how is this all going to work? You, so that is interesting. I don't know. I think it was. What it kept was you reading? The plot, the, how, yeah. the, how is this, this whole thing going to go? Mm-hmm. And, and also I thought with a story like this, I assume 
there's going to be a large character arc, right? Yes, of, yes, yes. So you were yeah. hoping for I that. I was hoping for that. Mm-hmm. I will not tell you. I mean, if this sounds interesting, read it and see what you think is what I say. See mm-hmm. where see where you land. Definitely interesting. I don't think I've ever read any premise like this before. Very interesting premise. I had no, I've seen the cover of that book. I had no idea what it was about. I would never have guessed that. The title's apt. It makes a lot of sense oh, why they titled sure. it there. Like, that's great. For um, sure. All right. Well, moving on. I'm delighted. Let's talk about reading goals. I'm, uh, I just, is there anything I like more than like making goals and not fulfilling them? I'm not sure. <laughs> like I would like, I would like to fulfill them. I'm really good at the making of it. The actualization I'm less good at, but maybe 2023 is my year. And to prep for this, I know we both listened to the book talk portion of our episode last year when we talked about our 2022 goals. Mm -hmm. And boy, we started that episode last year. I should say I started it last year with being really down on Goodreads. Like I was not... (laughs) like a fan (laughs) of that platform. And here is how I used Goodreads in 2022. I did still have a reading goal and then I basically ignored it for months and months. (laughs) Here's where I've landed though. And I think I had this expectation. This year was the first year I didn't use it uh, religiously, like as consistently as I normally did. And I just wanted to see what happened. What I liked about that was I wasn't focusing too hard on what other people were reviewing books and instead came up with my own thoughts. Mm -hmm. What I missed, though, I want to make sure that my opinion is getting out there about certain titles because some of my friends or people I know would be like, hey, what'd you think about this one? I didn't see you rated on Goodreads. And I'm like, you know what? As always, I'm here for the author and here for other readers. And I think by having my opinion there, it helps contribute to that. Mm -hmm. Where did you land? How did you use Goodreads this year? I'm in the exact same boat as you. I started off with setting the reading challenge. Unfortunately, I fell off somewhere after I had kept track of the first 30 some books because Goodreads is telling me, me I'm too, 60 actually. some books below yeah. my, I don't, I just could not keep up with it. I think it's because of what you said, because what I, I really wanted to do was not be influenced by reviews. And mm-hmm. in doing that, I stayed off Goodreads a lot. Mm-hmm. I didn't go back to check Goodreads until sometimes after I was finished with the book. Yeah. And then I just didn't go back after the show episode aired to put the books in. And mm-hmm. I wish I do wish I would have. Now I feel like I'm in a really large hole. I guess I missed doing that for the author's support, but I don't miss checking on reviews ahead of time. Not checking reviews ahead of okay. time really worked for me. Me too. I think I'll I'll probably I'll try to figure out how to get back on. I used the story graph and my and just used my private account to track all of my mm-hmm. books in real time. So the social aspect of either one of those, I didn't use this year. Yeah. So I actually settled on, here's what I'm going to do moving forward. I definitely did use the story graph and I want to talk about that a lot, but I am going to, at the end of each month, when I look back and see, okay, how many books did I read? Okay, 10 books. That's when I'm going into Goodreads. If I'm not doing my full review, that's okay. I can always add that later, but I at least want to put that I've read it, put the month that I read it in, and you'll be very surprised by this. I'm going to put the star rating. (gasps) I am back. 
around. I've like come full circle, really overthought it, but I'm back around to star ratings. Again, this is for readers. This is for authors. And I'm a little more generous, I think, on Goodreads than I am in my notebook or in StoryGraph because you don't get that half quarter star ability. But that's where I've landed. Something else that I did that you maybe have already, I'm not sure. If you don't, you should set this up. I set up the how do you know me in Goodreads. You can put a, I'm sorry, you you can set up a question. So when people friend request you, they have to say how they know you. I only had it on for a week and it's, I said, I I never had it because I'm like, I felt like people, it would discourage people from finding me. So if you're hearing this, please find me and feel free to friend me. But I like it because what it does, one, people are saying TikTok. I'm like, excuse me? Really? That's how you found me? Cool. All right. Great. Awesome. Love that. So it's giving me information, but also it re- it's reducing the number of unsolicited comments and requests from namely men that are just mm-hmm. here to like chat with people randomly on Goodreads. So I haven't gotten any in the last week. So I'm real excited for that little tidbit. That's a great suggestion. For some reason, I thought I had it set up to ask a question, what is your favorite book? But maybe I removed that because Mm -hmm. I thought the same thing that you did, that (laughs) I didn't want people to have to take that extra step. But yeah, I, I... I want rid of the men with the, with the yeah. requests. I would like and to get rid of it on Instagram too. I mean, it's fun too because one of our patrons, DZ, wrote, I'm a patron, you know, and oh, I'm like, fun. oh my gosh, hi. Like, it's cool that I can put that together because I have a hard time keeping track of who is where and what. So yeah, I, I really like that function. So back on Goodreads. And, and I am going to try and catch up for 2022. We'll see how I do. If nothing else, I will log the books and, and someday maybe I'll get the ratings and the reviews in for this year. And I was going to ask you about your experience with StoryGraph for 22. It sounds like you you logged everything over there. Yes, I did. I, I loved it. That's what I actually did keep up with. The method that I did, which I'll just say I failed at keeping a book journal, which was something I said I wanted to do last year. That did, I failed at that. But what did work for me was just keeping track in my notes in my notes app each month. Because we do read a lot, I had everything there. And then at the end of the month, I went and immediately, if not as I was reading, I went at the end of the month and put them in the story graph. So nice. everything was there and I didn't miss. And I could see in real time because that's the nice thing about the story graph. It will give you a breakdown right away of what genre are you reading the most in? And I don't know. I I found that worked really well for me. And I discovered the beauty of quarter star ratings, which I gave to a few books this year. And I and I was like, this is kind of oddly satisfying because yeah. I was which is so crazy because I I know I gave a couple books 4.75 because mm-hmm. I felt like they were better than 4.5 but not quite yeah. as good as five star. I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> Come around to the dark side, babe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. but I will say in 2023, I am going to list my books in written form, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. write notes on them. Yeah. And you gave me a very nice journal. Thank you for Christmas. And that's going to be like, I want to do... And you could probably explain it better because you told me about it that Katie does, that she suggested just listing the book and listing whether it was a five-star or whatever. I got this idea from Katie at Basic Bees Guide. And my tracking method in 2023 is going to be so extra and I don't care. (laughs) I've got this notebook that I'm holding on in front of me. Mm -hmm. And what I did, it's just basically keeping track of... 
I open the notebook. It can lie flat. I put the title and the author on one side and I number it. And I also put like January and then I skip a line February. I give it a star rating. Then I write down the format because you always ask me like, was it, what format was it? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't track it in StoryGraph, but I'm going to start. So anyway, I write the format so I can remember. I have a check mark for pod Instagram Goodreads so I can know if I've rated it there. I have a note for repeat and debut, which has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then I'm tracking the diversity. Now, I am I just started this like this month and I went back and tracked everything. So it's been very satisfying to look through. And then what I do is the books that are five star, like, you know what I mean? The five mm-hmm. star, five stars. Those get highlighted. Okay. Yes. So I then can you remember. can just quickly mm-hmm. see. All right. These are all the like this month was great. Some months you don't have any highlighted. So very satisfying to yes. do that this year. Now let me ask you this: What do you like about that versus your digital? Because you were your digital way of tracking. This is a summary. Digital tracking. I'm still okay. going to keep. So I have a book journal that I use, and what I do in there, it's the cover. It's the title author. I can put a star rating, but then it's just basically a big box of like, okay, and that's where all my notes as I'm reading go. It's just nonsense. Like, (laughs) who is this character? What's going on here? Oh, okay. And sometimes I'll write little plot notes so that when I'm coming back to work on the script, I can go back to my notes and see what I thought and what my overall takeaways were. So that's more just long form kind of whatever. This is quick so I can see the breakdown for the month. And then in the little notebook, I have a a beginning page and it's details tracked. So I wrote down what I tracked, the things I was keeping track of, the number of books written by Black women, LGBT, BIPOC, total books read by the month. And then I'm also going to write for 23 my goals so that I can remember today the things that I'm saying. (laughs) I want to have that handy so I can say, okay, dude, you've been wanting to read more books by LGBT authors. You've read three. Like, that's Mm -hmm. part of your goals. Like, make a note of it. That's all. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's that's good. I like it. Mm-hmm. And it's just different from the journal. I could put that in my digital journal. I don't need both. Mm-hmm. But this is handy for when I'm quickly trying to get through and see, okay, how many, what did I read? Because in the journal, you kind of have to scroll around and find the particular page where I, I wrote that down. Right. So this is okay. just faster. Got it. Yeah, I like that method. And I, I feel like that would work good. Mm-hmm. I am going to toss that out there that I am going to put that as my goal. Great. I just, great. I it. really didn't do all that great on my goals. I mean, that one was a oh, fail. Same. I failed on all. I literally, <laughs> well, except for, yeah, all. <laughs> I failed on all of them. So <laughs> tell me what you were, tell me. The I said I wanted to get to, I wanted to read more historical fiction. I did not. The storygraph tells me that I think Three of my books fell into straight historical fiction. Three? I think it, yeah, I, no, I don't know. Well, that's what it said. Wow. I don't, I be. really don't know. I think it probably could be. Wow. Considering okay. the only one I can even think of for sure right now is The Diamond Eye by Kate Quinn. What's that Ruta Septius one? Oh, yeah, that's probably another one. But I you're must right. betray that's- you. But that's only yeah, two, but that's not two right very there. many. Okay, all right. No. Okay, so I think I I don't I didn't really list a lot of goals last year, but those okay. were my yeah. two big ones. You said you wanted to do more sampling. Did you do that? You didn't since you said you failed. I I didn't sample a one, babe. Not you a didn't single. sample one. I didn't send one sample to my Kindle. No, I, I just I don't do that. I don't okay. know why. It's just I want to. I love it. I love that idea. But again. 
failed. I'm going to put it on my list again this year, though, just to remind <laughs> myself that like you do want to try and sample because it's a good way to it's a good method. I just didn't do it. I also laughed so hard. My, I'm quoting myself. Last year, I said, I don't need to be reading more than 120 books. Mm-hmm. I read 140 so far this year, and I'm, right. I'm trying to get 150. Like, that is not... So I failed on reading less. Uh-huh. Didn't sample. Did not get ahead on my ARCs. I, I would love to get ahead on my advanced reader copies. My plan for that is I want to pick two. Two a month. Two in January. These are my two. These mm-hmm. are the top two that I'm going to read this month. And if I at least try them. If I like them, great. If I don't, that's okay. But I want to do that because I think I get overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many new releases. How am Mm -hmm. I going to ever get to them all? Don't. Pick two. And I think I can handle that. I said I wanted to read more physical books last year. I did not. But I have been doing my audio print combo and I do appreciate that. I said more dystopian and sci-fi. No, Mm -hmm. didn't do that. I also said I want to read fewer popcorn thrillers. And uh, not only did I not do that, I don't want to because I really liked a lot of my popcorn thrillers this year. They're good palate cleansers for me. So anyway, last year's goals weren't, I didn't do it. And that's okay. That's okay. But I I did hit my numerical reading goal, which that's something. Same. I did too. But like you said, it is fun. Why not? It's fun to make them. I don't think either one of us are rigid, like rigid, like we must hit our goals. I mean, we actually forgot what our goals were, except for, (laughs) except I knew. That's why I'm writing them down in this little notebook, right? (laughs) Right. I knew I wanted a book journal. I really love the idea of keeping a detailed book journal. I just, you know, time-wise, once we do the show, I don't have a, I just don't have a desire to go back and write. I should probably do it when I finish the book, but that doesn't really work for me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I do some quick bullet points, if anything, and that's really all I do. I don't know. But I think that would help for the fact that I do want to like continue. I want to get better at getting my thoughts out there on Goodreads and Instagram. I really, mm-hmm. really, really slacked on both of those. So I'll, yeah. I'll figure it out for 2023. Do you have your most read genre for this year? Yeah. And not really surprising. Thriller was this year, same as last year. And Contemporary was next with 36, both this year and last year. My numbers are almost exactly the same. Third place this year is literary. Last year was mystery. So, okay. And this is basically by the Storygraph's standards, how Mm -hmm. they put what it is. So I thought I had to put it in and that's where I lost it. I'm like, how am I ever going to write, decide what genre? They're the ones that tell you oh, and yeah. spit out that data. So. It puts it, it's all really nice prepared in the mm-hmm. pie chart and line graph. Mine also was thrillers, but okay. So my first top red genre was thrillers. My second was mystery. And my third was contemporary, which I, that is not surprising, I guess. But what is surprising for me was in 2021, 50% of my reading was thriller. And this year, it is 36%. Wow, that is a big shift. That's a big shift because numbers-wise, mm-hmm. when I looked at the numbers, I was like, oh, I read 46 thrillers in 2021. I read 47 this year. I was like, it's the same, but no, I read more books this oh, year. So once right. I looked the at the, I was like, yeah. oh, no, mm-hmm. it's not the same. My mystery also went down percentage-wise from 42% in 2021 to 32%. And my contemporary fiction, I doubled, which is, I didn't wow. realize. And my I, my literary fiction went way up. 
I doubled my literary fiction. That's right now about 14.7% of my reading. And I almost doubled my memoir. So memoir almost overtook crime, according to the story graph this year, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which tracks based on what I feel like I enjoyed. Although I am surprised that my thriller went down, but I'm happy with, I'm happy with that. I would, I like that. I think that means I'm focusing less on thrillers. Yeah, I like my breakdown too. I'm I'm going to always love my thrillers and contemporary. Like that's kind of my sweet spot. So I'm not 100% surprised with that. One thing I do want to change, I always want to read diversely. I only read 25% authors of color. So I was definitely not thrilled with that breakdown. Um, and this year I only read 10% LGBT authors mm-hmm. or I should say books. So those stats, I'm not crazy about. I definitely want to focus on that next year. And that's why I'm tracking those two things specifically in my notebook. So I can Mm -hmm. keep an eye on that. What about debuts? I feel like you had a good year with debuts. I did. Well, I I read 20 debuts, which felt like a lot, but then uh, percentage-wise, that's 15 and a half percent, which I guess when you break it down that much, isn't that much, but I thought it was good. I need to, I would like to continue or read read more debuts, read more mm-hmm. authors of color and from different na- like nationalities. I want to continue yeah. reading from different authors from different countries. I really enjoy that. That's why when you said that about the story graph, I, that's perfect for what I want to do. Which yeah, is, the challenge. Yeah, the mm-hmm. challenge. That's a, that's a huge goal. I want to definitely do that. What about you for debuts? Yeah, debuts were great. Um, I ended with um, doing 23 debuts, which okay. is about 16% of my reading. That's so exciting. These are first-time authors. Like mm-hmm. That's a really cool achievement. And I know, at least for the books that we're about to introduce, I have three debuts. So I definitely have a lot of debuts coming up on my books for January. I'll wrap quickly with my reading goals. I think that I'm going to keep this tracking system that I've outlined and read more deeply. That's the one I added from earlier when you said that. I love that idea, reading more deeply, really just getting down. I love taking notes and annotating and mm-hmm. uh, I just love that idea. So that will affect my reading number and I'm going to come to terms with that. (laughs) Still reading for the show, but like, it's okay if it's like not 150. Right, right. Something that really worked for me this year, I will continue next year, is seeking out popular authors that Mm -hmm. I haven't read. Yeah, that's a good strategy. That was an unintentional happening for, for me this year, but that was really, really a winner, along with trusted authors. I had a lot of sequels that I didn't like. So, oh, okay. I got tempted by quite a few sequels this year that I was like, eh, it d- didn't have the magic that the first book in this th- the series did. But mm-hmm. then I don't like series. And that is part of the reason why I don't mind it if they switch characters. But if it's like a straight up, I don't know. I just, those don't always work for me. So, okay. All right. Well, All those right. are good goals. Good goals. And, you know, we'd love to hear. I know we've been having a our patrons have been having some conversation in Facebook and Discord about the goals. So feel free to share. It's always fun to hear what other people hope to do. But let's get into the books for January. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. First for me is called The New Life by Tom Crew. And this one comes out on January 3rd. This is a debut about two marriages, two forbidden love affairs, and the passionate search for social and sexual freedom in late 19th century London. So the author has a PhD in 19th century British history, and he said this is the book he knew he wanted to write before he wrote it. 
It's set in the summer of 1894, and you have two men, John and Henry, who begin writing a book arguing that what they call inversion or homosexuality is natural, and it's a harmless variation of human sexuality. They've never met, but they do both live in London with their wives. And in each of their marriages, they have a third party. And you kind of find out who the third party is and how their marriages are different. And shortly before the book they're writing together gets published, Oscar Wilde gets arrested. And it was a crime of gross indecency. And I Googled it, and this actually happened. Basically, it was illegal to be homosexual at the time, and he got arrested for it. So the two men in this book must decide whether to go on risking social ostracism and possibly imprisonment or to, you know, protect the safety of the people that they love. So it's really interesting. It says it's a richly detailed, insightful, and dramatic debut. And it got a Kirkus starred review. And Kirkus called it a smart, sensual debut. And I'm like, all right, this sounds really good to me. It sounds like it has a lot of elements that I'll really like. It's a little bit of a departure, too, from my normal. But it might be a book I could read deeply. It's The New Life by Tom Crew. Awesome. Okay, good. I also have many debuts today and actually all four. <laughs> so, oh, nice. Which there was you know. an un I did not know that until I, I went back and looked at all of them. And my first one, ooh, luckily it comes out soon because I can't wait to read it. It is The Social Climber by Amanda Pellegrino. It comes out January 3rd. And Amanda is a TV writer on Showtime's. TV show, American Rust. So I thought that was interesting. This book had me at this comp, and I hope it is accurate. Promising Young Woman Meets White Ivy in this novel that is billed as explosive and plot-driven. And it's about Eliza Bennett, and she is not your normal bride. The way she is not normal tells you right here, for all her planning and scheming, for her dream wedding, things may be about to pay off for Eliza. So right then I was like, oh, interesting. What is she scheming? Apparently, she has girl-bossed her way into an elite Manhattan lifestyle. She has a high-powered job in PR, and she is engaged to a high-society Yale graduate from a very prominent wealthy family. So as her big day approaches, secrets from Eliza's past start to throw her true motives into question. Uh, who exactly is Eliza Bennett and what does she really want? Oh, I cannot wait to find out. This is billed as having breakneck pace and captures the glittering privileged world of the one percenters. Tina, this is for us. Mm -hmm. Wealthy people behaving badly, it sounds like. So that was The Social Climber by Amanda Pellegrino. Mm -hmm. Yep, this does sound like our kind of book. See, yes. sometimes popcorn thrillers are a good time. Uh-huh. And you're going to need a popcorn thriller after mine because my <laughs> book is Night Wherever We Go by Tracy Rose Payton. And I've seen a couple different pub dates for this one, but NetGalley said January 3rd, so I'm going with that. And it also said that on the author's social media. And this is a debut. And it's a gripping, radically intimate novel about a group of enslaved women who stage a covert rebellion against their owners. And it's set in Texas on a plantation. Six enslaved women slip from their sleeping quarters and gather into the woods over the cover of night because they're plotting a rebellion because the owners of the plantation have decided to make money for the farm by making the women bear children so that they can sell oh. their Oh, no. Home. So 
What sounds like, though, it does focus on six of the women, and they basically are trying to figure out, like, what they can do to prevent themselves from having this fate. And should their plan be discovered, though, the consequences will be severe. This book is said to illuminate each woman's individual trial and desires while painting a subversive portrait of collective defiance. I just love the idea of the women kind of rebelling Rebelling. and rising Mm -hmm. up together. And I hope this focuses on the women. Anyway, I know books about slavery can be really tricky, but some of the ones that I have read that are well done are some of my very favorites. So I have high hopes for this one whenever it comes out. It's Night Wherever We Go by Tracy Rose Payton. Okay, good. All right. My next book is City Under One Roof by Iris Yamashita. Now, this comes out January 10th is another debut. And also, really interestingly, this author, this is her first book, I said, is a debut. But she was, she is an Academy Award-nominated writer for movies. She has been nominated for four Oscars for her work on the movie Letters from Iwo Jima. Wow. I know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times movie and TV writers, they end up really like, just having such interesting novels. Sometimes it doesn't translate, but when it does, I've had really good success with those. And this is so, so interesting. The The location is Point Meteor, Alaska. There is a detective named Kara Kennedy, and she's on the case. She comes in from Anchorage because a local teenager finds a severed hand and a foot that has been washed up on the shore of this small town. So Kara gets there by way of a tunnel. And that is the only way that this particular place can be accessed. Well, she gets there and then a blizzard hits and it causes the tunnel to close indefinitely. So Kara is stuck among the odd and suspicious residents of the town. And get this, All 205 of them live in the exact same high-rise building. All of the residents are, quote, I'm quoting from the synopsis, as icy as the weather, which Mm. I thought was really interesting. So Kara ends up teaming up with a local police officer to investigate what they believe is a murder. Sounds like there's also a group of gang members that something is going on with. Of course, because that's how detective novels all often go, Kara is haunted by her past. So she has to try to unravel the secrets of this town and these people before she herself unravels. That was City Under One Roof by Iris Yamashita. Yeah, that one sounds good. I got that mm-hmm. in the mail and I was like, ooh, I like the setting. I like I like yeah. the setup. It sounds really good. I, I don't think I realized it was a debut. So mm-hmm. you'll have to report back. It sounds like it's good for this time of year too. Yes. All right, next for me is one of the ones I'm adding to my I definitely want a sample for January list. It is The Survivalist by Kashada Kali. And this one's a debut. And Kashana was a former staff writer for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. So fun fact about this oh. author. This comes out on January 10th. And it's about a single Black lawyer who puts her career and personal moral code at risk when she moves in with her coffee entrepreneur boyfriend and his doomsday prepping roommates. I'm like, okay, tell me more. (laughs) So Aretha has been single for years and her sole focus in life was success until she falls for Aaron, a coffee entrepreneur. And 
Aretha moves into his Brooklyn brownstone to live alongside his roommate. And his roommate sounds like quite the character. He is traumatized having lived through Hurricane Sandy. And now he is an illegal gun stockpiler. He's kind of built this bunker and he sounds like he has some wild ideas. And she finds that her dreams of making partner at the law firm are slipping away and it's being replaced by this underground world, one of selling guns and preparing for a doomsday that's maybe just around the corner. Why I like this, you know, I love dystopian. I don't know what's going to happen, what's happening. I like the Brooklyn setting. Sounds like the main character is going to be awesome. They also comp this to Zakia Harris's The Other Black Girl, and I love that sort of satire, Mm. dark humor, and I'm really, and it's a lawyer. I love books that have oh yeah you do main characters so mm-hmm. i'm real excited about this one this was the survivalists by kashana Kali. okay yeah i'm excited to hear your thoughts on that okay i'm also very excited about this one it is vintage contemporaries by dan kwa this is a debut by a slate editor okay this is right up my time capsule alley it's set in First, 1991, and we follow M, and she has moved to New York City for excitement, adventure, and possibility. Very quickly, it sounds like she starts to struggle a bit. She's working as a literary agent's assistant, and she is down to her very last dollar. But she's made two very close friends, Emily, who is a theater director, and Lucy, a middle-aged novelist and single mom. M's life revolves around these two very different women and their views of art in the world. But the question is, who is M and what does she want? Cut to 2004, and M is now Emily. This is actually kind of confusing, <laughs> but M is now Emily. She's a successful book editor. She's happily married, and she has a new baby. She doesn't really spend much time thinking about her past in New York City. However, it's about to come back to remind her because her old friend Lucy has written a posthumous work that needs a publisher, and her ex-friend Emily has reached out and is eager to reconnect. So what happens as two of the women reconnect— But the third is also in the mix, although she is now dead. And Emily is forced to reckon with her own decisions, her failures, and what kind of creative life she wants to lead. I love the sound of this. It's being built about a novel about art, obviously set in New York City. The time period in the New York City really is what intrigued me. And it's a story about women in the literary world. So I hope this pans out. I'm questioning the choice to name a character M and another character Emily. And then the first character M becomes a different Emily. Why would you? Mm-hmm. I don't That's very don't confusing, know. right? I don't know. But I, we'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll report back, hopefully. It's Vintage Contemporaries by Dan Kwa. Mm-hmm. Lots to like about that one, though. And it does like it's so fun when we bring these. I'm like, yep, that sounds like a, a you book. I can see why you picked that. <laughs> All right. I'm wrapping things up today with The Minus One Club by Kekla Magoon. And this comes out on January 24th. I read her book, How It Went Down, about eight years ago. And I literally still think about this book. It was so good. This is why, A, 
I mean, it's about 15-year-old Kermit Sanders, and he knows grief and its all-encompassing shadows because he lost his beloved older sister in a tragic car accident. Nothing is really quite getting to him. He's not over losing his sister. Obviously, he gets reminded of her everywhere. But then he finds a mysterious invitation in his locker signed anonymously with minus one. Like, all right, he has no idea what he's in for, but he shows up to find out. And he finds the minus one club, which is a group of his schoolmates that they've branded themselves together. And it's a moral support group. And all the members have one thing in common. They've all suffered the tragic loss of someone they love. And it's interesting because the usual dividing lines between cliques and high school classes don't really apply here. There's people from all backgrounds in the Minus One Club. Kermit's secret crush, the handsome and happy-go-lucky Matt, and the only out gay student at school, is also a part of the group. So slowly, Matt's positivity helps infect Kermit's life and sounds like it might help him get out of this despair. But then also on the same token, it sounds like Matt goes through some things of his own. I just love the sound of this. And I saw somebody call this, and I don't know if it's good or bad, but it definitely got me. They call this the gay fault in our stars. And I was like, got it. Like, say no more. Okay. I'm going to pick this book up. So I can't wait to read it. It is The Minus One Club by Kekla Magoon. Okay. Yeah. That's, you definitely have me intrigued with that comp. Yeah. Because you don't typically pick YA books. So that's a, departure. I make exceptions for certain authors. Angie Thomas, yes. Mm -hmm. Magoon, yes. There are certain ones. I think that might be the full list. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure someone will... uh, uh, Tiffany D. Jackson, I think, sometimes has been called YA, sort of. But yeah, there's a few authors. I'm like, I don't care what genre it is. I'm reading it. Okay, gotcha. All right. My last book is Central Places by Delia Kay. Comes out January 31st, and it's my fourth debut. Tina, you might know this location if it's not fictional. This is about Andrea Zoe, who left Hickory Grove, the tiny town in central Illinois where she grew up. I'm like two hours from central okay. Illinois. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, it sounds real. All right. <laughs> this sounds like it could be real. So she left this tiny town as soon as high school ended and she never looked back. She moved to New York City and she became the person she always wanted to be, complete with a high paying, high-pressure job, and a seemingly faultless fiancé, Ben. Now, she and Ben are planning on building a life together, and here's what it sounds like is important to realize. Her parents do not know about Ben, and her parents are Chinese immigrants who had very particular expectations for how they wanted her life to go. Her parents don't know about Ben, but because they are planning on getting married and probably living in the dream home that Ben's parents will surely pay for, she decides she needs to take Ben back home to meet her family. So she is returning to Hickory Grove. And what transpires is a complicated reunion between Audrey and her mother and also Audrey and her friends that she left behind Sounds like she left them behind and cut off contact, but they all stayed and started families. And then there's also a guy named Kyle who was her unrequited crush from high school. So this sounds very like small town reunion where everybody has complicated feelings and things, um, maybe complicated grudges. And then also 
you have complicated family. So I love, I love all of this. The whole story is set over the course of one disastrous week, which I like the sound of that. I really want to know what happens. This is Central Places by Delia Kay. Mm-hmm. That sounds good too. I know. I'm like, yeah, Illinois is a weird state. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, when you, you know how like when you don't live in the state, you think that the people that live there know where everything oh, 100%. is. Because oh, absolutely. We, but that's not true. So no, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. I, that's why I know. Of course, you probably don't. You may not know that city, but I think, I think, why not? You live in Illinois. You might. You live there. Who knows? <laughs> oh, All right. Gosh. Oh, so no. let's wrap things up with our current read. Renee, what's your current read? I have two current reads going right now because I'm I'm reading slowly. I'm actually just kind of coming and going on audio. One is Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey because that was your number one book of the year. And I had to um, get that audio immediately. I'm dipping in with that while also dipping into Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walter because I had a... I. I don't know. This has been on my TBR forever and the audio came, became available and the audio is by Eduardo Ballerini. And I was like, why not go back to Italy for a little bit? So you just talked about migrations, but Beautiful Ruins is the story of an almost love affair that begins on the Italian coast in 1962 and resurfaces 50 years later in Hollywood. So I love, and and I've I've kind of, already gotten glimpse of the back and forth setting. And I like the Italian setting and the Hollywood setting. So those are mine. That is so funny because I'm reading a book that you recommended in your top 10 and a book set in Italy. No, no way. Are you serious? Swear. I'm not making it up. Uh Um, I'm reading Tunde Oyene's Speak, which I absolutely love. I can see why it made your top 10. It's Mm -hmm. so good. It's self-improvement, but gosh, she's so passionate and just charming and engaging. And it's Amazing. I highlighted and underlined so much in this book. So I'm very glad you put that yes, on my radar. Good. And the other one is The Villa by Rachel Hawkins. And this is a thriller about two frenemies who go on a writing workshop retreat together in Italy. And things evolve from there. So you'll hear about those in some upcoming episodes. Well, at least you'll hear about The Villa. Speak, I won't bring, but five steps. Yeah. I know I love it. Oh, <laughs> so, good, good. It's awesome. All right, that's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. K as in call. Uh, K as in key. What's a K word? <laughs> K as in key. <laughs> <laughs> What's a word that starts with K? Hurry. <laughs> <laughs>